Well, hey, welcome to Venture Church, man. So glad that you're here. Hey, shout out to our Gulf Coast campus, man. All that God is doing down there is incredible. I absolutely love that story, right? Just the testimony of, man, I'm going to show up and and look, I'm willing to give even before I get anything. And I know that as incredible that story is, that is a story that so many of you share, which is, man, why I'm so thankful for you. I hope you know that, man. We are so, so thankful for you and all that you do and all the ways that you give, that you partner, right, in the vision and the mission to be a church for the unchurched. I'm thankful just personally, man. I'm thankful that I get to be a part of this journey with you and all that God's called us to do. And so, look, I want to get started with a question, okay? i ask you a question just to kind of get us thinking and rolling in the direction we're going to be heading in, in Scripture today. And so here's the question for you. In this season, what is it that you are waiting on? What are you waiting on in this? And that's not like a hyper-biblical question, but like, I'm not trying to be super spiritual. I mean, honest, like, what are, you, what are you waiting on in this season? What's the thing you're waiting on? And, and I'm making a broad assumption there that, that, that we're all likely waiting on something. And I think that's a fair assumption, right? What are you waiting on? You're waiting on a husband to, to show up and swoop you off your feet. You know, you're waiting on a wife to Accept the invitation you've been inviting her on to a date for the past year, right? What are you waiting on? You're waiting on your kids to get out of your house. You're waiting on a raise or, or gas prices to drop and stay down. Are you waiting on Alabama to be able to win a game with a kicker? Like, what is it that you are waiting on? I know. I don't, I, it's, it's too soon for some people, and I'm sorry. Um, <clears throat> what are you waiting on? You, you know, we, are you waiting on somebody to apologize to you, right? To realize, finally realize after all this time that they were wrong, you've known they were wrong, and you're just waiting on them to figure it out, right? That they're wrong and call you and apologize. I think we're all waiting on something. Brooke and I, my wife Brooke and I, we are uh, very much in a season of waiting for several months now. Uh, we are waiting uh, anxiously, excitedly. We are waiting on um, the birth of our first child, a little girl. Um, prayerfully, in, in a few weeks, uh, she will arrive in enough time for us to get home and still enjoy Thanksgiving dinner, right? And so um, we're waiting. We're waiting anxiously, right? We're waiting with a lot of joy and with a lot of excitement to step into a brand new season. Like we know life is going to be different. We know that, that there's going to be new things for us. And so we're excited about that. And we're waiting. We see that coming. We see that as, as a thing sitting out there and we're waiting to step into it. Brooke is, she's just waiting to be able to breathe again, you know, to, to be able to get in and out of bed without losing her breath. But we're waiting. And depending on Here's why I ask you that question, right? Because depending on what it is that you're waiting on, that can either be a tremendous source of of joy, of anticipation, of excitement, or it it can be a source of of despair, right? Of doubt, of, of worry, of stress, of anxiety. And so as we think about what it is that you are waiting on in this season, the thing I wanna dig into a little bit more is how are you doing with that waiting? Tolstoy, a um, Russian uh, author, believer, he, he said that everything comes in time to he who knows how to wait. And I love that distinction, right? But it's not just about waiting itself, because I'm gonna be honest with you, I don't think that we can avoid the waiting. I think waiting is just a reality of life in every single season. But it's not just about what it is we're waiting on, but rather how we are waiting. Right? How do we, and this is the question for us collectively today that we're going to dig into in scriptures, how do we wait well? Jesus was asked a very similar 
question. He had told his disciples throughout all of his ministry, hey, I'm not going to be with you physically forever. My life is going to be delivered. I'm going to lay my life down, right? I will die. And in so doing, I will offer you hope. I will offer you eternal life. I will offer you eternal rescue. I'm going to give you that, but I won't always physically be here. But don't worry, I'm going to go and I'm going to prepare a place for you. And one day I will come back and I will take you to that place, that place in perfection that I've prepared for you. And the disciples, understandably, were like, hey, that sounds awesome. How long do I got to wait? What's that look like? What am I waiting through? How do I know I'm waiting through the right things? How do I wait well? And so Jesus answered that question through a few parables, a couple of parables. We're going to dig into one of them, right? It's Matthew chapter 25. If you're reading along, Matthew chapter 25, we're going to start in verse 14. It's what we typically refer to as the parable of the talents. And I'll show you that in just a minute when we get there. But um, Matthew chapter 25, verse 14 says this. Jesus says, for it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and he entrusted to them his property. Now, let's, let's hang right here on this verse for just a minute, and then we'll, we'll dive into what actually happens in the story. Jesus says, for it will be like, and when he, he says that word it, that word it refers to the phrase, the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God. You, you can go back to verse one of this chapter and see what he's referring back to. And that phrase, the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God, it's a very common phrase in the teachings of Jesus, particularly in the parables themselves. He uses parables to teach a lot about what he calls the kingdom of heaven. And that phrase simply means the place and the space in which God God reigns. Makes sense, right? Like God reigns and God rules in his kingdom. Now, here's what's really interesting about that, okay? As you read through the parables, you'll see that they take two different tenses. Sometimes Jesus will teach in a present tense. He will say the kingdom of heaven is like, or the kingdom of God can be compared to. And when he's teaching in that present tense in that way, he's reminding us, he's acknowledging the fact and the realization that God reigns and rules in the here and now, right? In our reality, here and now, he's just as holy. That God reigns and rules, he sits on his throne in this present age. That, that in all things, right, all things sit under the feet of Jesus. He is still the King of kings and the Lord of lords. He holds all life in his hand. And yes, while you and I live in this life, we talk about this a lot here, right? That there is a, a conflict, that there is a war that we are in, that we, we, we fight and we engage in a battle with our enemy, the, the prince of power of darkness, as scripture calls him, the father of lies. And so we acknowledge that in this life, in a life of sin and, and brokenness, that there is a kingdom of darkness in which our enemy reigns. And yet at the same time, there is a kingdom of light in which God reigns and rules his kingdom. And so in this life, you and I, we choose whether or not we will live in the kingdom of darkness or the kingdom of light, because the kingdom of heaven is like, and Jesus teaches us what it is like. But there are some parables, and this is one of them, that takes our minds to a future tense, right? He says, the kingdom of heaven uh, will be like. 
So he's taking our eyes and he's taking our mind off of our present circumstances and our present reality to a future promise, a promise that will come true, that will be fulfilled one day. That namely, there is an eternal kingdom being ushered in, that Christ will return again. The son of God will return again and he will bring an eternal kingdom of God and an eternal kingdom of heaven, a place in which there is no more sin, there is no more sorrow, a place and a time in which he will wipe away every tear where there'll be no more pain. There'll be no more suffering. There'll be no more uh, despair or depression or disease where there'll be no more anxiety or addiction or affairs, right? Where God brings perfection into reality. A, A place and a time in which all hope and all peace and all love and all comfort are, are fulfilled for us in the presence of God. That is a future that we hang on to. It's a future that we cling to, a promise that we cling to for a future, for a better day. This is what Paul talked about, the Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 8, verse 23. He said, not only creation, talking about the created world, but he said, we, us, ourselves, who carry the first fruits of the Spirit, the very presence of God himself through the Spirit, that we, we groan inwardly as we wait eagerly to be adopted as sons and for the redemption of our bodies, that there is this this soul-level longing that takes place in us as we wait eagerly for that promise to be fulfilled, promise of of eternal hope and rescue and peace, a thing that our, our hearts and our souls crave and desire, and we groan as we, we eagerly await that. Now, let me, just, let me just kind of uh, acknowledge for, for a moment here that depending on where you are in your faith journey, that some of that, maybe all of that, as I talk about like a future promise, don't make any sense to you, right? Like if you are, man, if you are questioning, if you're wondering, if you're searching, if you're just trying to figure out if this old Jesus thing or this old church thing is actually real or has anything to offer you, one, let me say, man, I'm so thankful for you. Like, I'm glad you're here really and truly. I'm glad that you're here, that you're searching, that you are in fact wondering and questioning and trying to find those answers because I believe your heavenly father has those answers for you. And so let me just acknowledge for you that that if that's you, if you're, 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 if you're in that place of searching and wondering and like that, that future promise sounds good, uh, but you're really trying to figure out like right now, if God has anything to offer my, my depression or my anxiety or, or help me figure out my terrible boss or whatever the case might be, know that, and like we said, God is reigning and ruling in this present age right? Like there is a heavenly father who loves you, who cares about you, who does care about your experience with his creation. And so he does very much care about what it is that you're experiencing and walking through in this life in the day in and day out. And and two, let me challenge you to continue to press in to that, that sense that something's off, like that's probably why you're here. It's probably why you're questioning or searching to begin with. Like something just feels like it's missing, like there's a missing puzzle piece in your life. And that's because there is, there is something missing. 
communion and connection and relationship with your heavenly father. Maybe, maybe you feel like you are in fact the missing puzzle piece. Like you look around and you just don't fit into the picture that's being painted in the world around you. And you're trying to figure out where it is that you belong and what it is that you belong to. That, that's a feeling. And that's a sensation. I think of, of like being a ship being untethered from its anchor, right? Just adrift and floating without any kind of heading or without any kind of direction. Scripture says that you were, that, that I am, that, that all of us have been created in the image of God, in the image of God, he created us. And so what that means is without an understanding of who God is, without an understanding of who your heavenly father is, that you don't have any kind of direction or bearing to live out your identity. There is something missing. But the good news is, the good news is that God has that answer and he's inviting you into a relationship and he's inviting you into a connection and, and communion to find that direction and find that heading and find that understanding, right? There's a promise of a better day, yes, but the promise holds an experience for us today. Let me give you another example that might, might kind of help us all. We talk a lot about um, the good old days, Right? The good old days when, when the cowboys were good and people didn't fight on Facebook all the time, right? Like the good old days. We, man, what can we do to get back there? Or, or most recently, that phrase has become more like a return to normal, right? I mean, I just wish we could return to normal. Like somehow 2019 is normal and this isn't normal, whatever that means. But the funny thing about all that is, is that I'm willing to bet if you could go back and talk to yourself in 2019, you probably had as many complaints about life then as you do now. They just were different. They just were different complaints. But somehow we, we get in our mind that, that we are waiting for something to collectively snap us back to a place or a time or a situation that's somehow better than our current reality. And what I want you to see and understand is that that is a symptom and that is a sign of a deeper desire, of a heartfelt hunger. And yes, we do desire to return to the good old days, to something better, but it's not 2019, it's not 2010, it's the Garden of Eden. In perfection that we were created to experience. You understand that, right? That, that you and I, man, we weren't created for this experience in life, for an experience of sin and shame and sorrow. It's not what we were created for. We were created for perfection in the Garden of Eden, perfect harmony with our heavenly Father, and yet sin broke and distorted and twisted that experience. And so now, now we wait, we wait for a future promise when Christ will return and all that sin has broken and distorted will be made right, will be made whole, and we will experience the fullness of all that God created us for. But the good news is now in this life, in this present age, we still get to experience that even if it is a small glimpse of it, like looking what scripture says, like looking at a dimly lit mirror. We have an opportunity to experience all, or at least a taste of it, that God has, has created us for in perfection. But for the present reality, we are in what many have called the, the glorious middle, right? In this, this season, in this place, in this time between salvation and sanctification, where we experience the presence of God in our lives, and yet we are waiting for the fullness of that experience in eternity. And so what do we do in this waiting? How do we wait well in this glorious middle? And for some of us, 
That, that has become a thing of, for some of us, our answer is like to, to passively endure almost, right? Like if I can just kind of hide away, if I can get in this little bubble over here, if I can protect myself from all those sinners or all those bad people or all those people that vote differently than me, then I, I can be okay. If I can grip my teeth and hold on, then one day it's all going to be better. I just got to make it through all of this. For some of us, we take the opposite approach completely, right? Like, man, if I can't control, if I'm just waiting for one day that promise to come to me, then look, I'm just going to live it up. Let's just go. Party it up, man. We'll, we'll figure it out as we go. Let me get my hands on everything I can experience right now. And what Jesus teaches us in this parable, and we're about to jump back in the parable, I promise. Um, but what Jesus teaches us in this parable is that there's a better way forward. There's a better way forward in the midst of the waiting. And what that is, what he'll show us in this parable is that your waiting, listen to me, your waiting is never meant to be wasted. That there is a purpose and there is a work even in the midst of your waiting, that your waiting isn't in a season or it's not so that you have a season to sit and do nothing, but rather in the waiting, God is doing a work on you. God is doing a work in you. God is doing a work around you. And listen, he has a work to be done through you. That's gonna be the major part of this parable. Let me show you. Let's keep going. Matthew um, 25, verse 15. It says this to one, one of his servants, he gave five talents. And that word talents there, by the way, it's not like abilities. Like you have a talent, you are talented. It's a, a unit of currency, right? Like a dollar. It's a lot more than $5, but you get the picture. To one, he gave five talents, $5. To another, two. To another, one. To each according to his ability. Then he went away. He who had received the five talents went at once and traded with them, and he made five talents more. He multiplied and reproduced them. So also he who had the two talents made two talents more. But he who had received the one talent went and dug in the ground and hid his master's money. Now, after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. And he who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five talents more, saying, Master, you delivered to me the five talents. Here I have made five talents more. And his master said to him, Well done, my good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a little, and so I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. And the conversation goes on. He has the same conversation with the servant who had the two talents and he multiplied them, reproduced them. And he said, well done, my good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a little, so I'll set you over much. The apostle Paul is going to draw on this language a little bit in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, where he's going to remind us in the church that that look, we are called to be good stewards of what he calls the, the mysteries of God. We're called to be faithful stewards of the mysteries of God. And for Paul, the mysteries of God is the fact, is the reality, is the truth that the message of hope that is the cross, right? The message of salvation, that is the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, that that is a message available and meant for all people, not just Jews and not just Greeks, not just whites, not just blacks, not just Democrats, not just Republicans, not just rich, not just poor, but rather the message of hope, of eternal rescue, of eternal salvation is a truth, is a message for all people. And so when we step back and we understand the full narrative of the New Testament, we understand that God, listen to me, God has given us much so that we can make known a message of hope to all people. God has given us time. God has given us talents. God has given us resources. God has given us life. 
so that you and I can make known a message of hope and a message of eternal rescue to all people. That was meant for all people. And so here's the great plot twist, okay? Here's the great plot twist of this parable is that life is more than waiting to die. Your life means more than simply waiting to die and experiencing something in the future. While there's a promise that you will experience something in the future beyond your imagination, God has more for you to experience in the here and now than simply waiting. D.A. Carson, he said that it's not enough for Jesus' followers to simply hang in there and wait until the end. Instead, he said, we should see ourselves, talking about this parable, instead we should see ourselves as servants, as faithful stewards who improve on what the master has given us. I mean, think about what Jesus taught. In the Sermon on the Mount, his first teaching, he taught us to be salt and light, right? To make the world a better and brighter place, to engage in the world around us and bring something good into it, something life-giving into it. When we talk about his prayer, right? The Lord's prayer, what did Jesus pray? God, let your kingdom come. Let your will be done, what? On earth as it is in heaven. See, he never prayed, God, hide us away. He never prayed, God, give us a bunch of buildings that we can hide in and be safe from the people that's not like us. No, he prayed, let us bring a taste of heaven to this earth. Let us bring a taste of what is good what is holy, what is right, what is pure to this earth. Yes, we wait. We wait in the glorious middle for a future that has been promised to us of eternal perfection. But in the middle, in the meantime, there's a purpose for you and I to be about, to bring a taste of heaven to earth, not just to wait to die, to invest what he's given us, to multiply, to reproduce so that a message of hope can be made known to the ends of the earth. Now, there's a third servant that we didn't read what happened to him. We saw that, that his response to the master giving um, some of his possessions and some of his property was he went and he buried it and he, he hid it in the ground. And so here's what happened. Here's the conversation between that servant, the third servant and his master. Um, it's verse 24, Matthew chapter 25, verse 24. It says, he also who had received the one talent came forward saying, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid. And I went and I hid your talent in the ground. Here you have what is yours. But his master answered him, you wicked and slothful servant. And understand this, this next sentence has a question mark at the end. So there's some, there's some sarcasm in it. He says, you knew, really, you think you knew that I reap where I have not sown and I gather where I scattered no seed? If that were the case, then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers. And at my coming, I should have received what was mine plus interest. So take the talent from him who gave, take the talent from him and give it to him who has the 10 talents. For to everyone who has will more be given and he, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. Now, here's the deal. <clears throat> Let me just kind of admit here that I kind of get what's happening with this third servant. Not, not so much his reasoning or his justification, but I, I, honestly, I do get his actions. Because, man, one of the things I struggle with personally is I, I, I struggle with a great deal of self-doubt. I do. 
And so I read this parable and, and I understand like what's being taught here. And, and one of my fears personally, man, one of my fears is these guys got praised for investing, for multiplying, for reproducing. What if I don't do that well? Right? Like the servant, he took five and he multiplied it and he brought 10. But what if God gives me five and I try to invest it and I only bring back two? What if I can't make the 10? What if I don't have enough drive? What if I don't have enough ambition? What if I'm not good enough? And I struggle with this a lot. But I want you to go back. I want you to think about what the master said to his servant. We read it in verse 21. He said, well done, my good and faithful servant. You have been what? You have been faithful over a little. Therefore, I'll set you over much. You see, it wasn't, it wasn't the production itself that God praised them for, it was their faithfulness. You see that? Like God, listen, God does not praise you for your production. And listen, God doesn't praise you for your perfection for that matter. God praises you for your faithfulness. This third servant, it wasn't the fact that he misused what God gave him that brought about judgment or condemnation. It was the fact that he didn't use it at all. It wasn't ineffectiveness, it was unwillingness. That's the great danger being talked about here that he sat on his hands, that he buried what God gave him, that he refused to do anything with that. And because of that, not because he was ineffective, but because he was unwilling, he received the judgment of God. And, and I know, I know that might sound a little harsh. Revelation talks about what's called lukewarm believers. He's talking to the church, he's talking to Christians, lukewarm Christians, lukewarm uh, followers. He says, because you're neither, and this is Revelation, because you're neither hot nor cold, but because you're lukewarm, I will spit you out of my mouth. And it's this, this vile, disturbing kind of picture that sounds really harsh, but, but the reality is God cares passionately about the testimony and the message of his bride, of the church, of his people. And what this parable teaches us is that one of the worst things that we can do is not, is not that we can be ineffective with what he's given us, but one of the worst things we can do is be unwilling to use what he's given us. To take the time, to take the talents, to take the resources and bury them in the ground, to sit, to consume, to watch, and never contribute. There's a, um, I, I, one more quote, and this is where we'll kind of, wrap up. Um, Spurgeon, Charles Spurgeon, can talking about what, again, what scripture calls the, the lukewarm Christian, this idea of the, the consumer who's unwilling to contribute, that third servant. Um, Spurgeon said, they sit on the shady side of godliness, never basking in the sun that shines full upon it. I think a lot of us, if we're honest with ourselves, we found a really comfortable spot in the shade. And look, it's not judgment. I mean, let's, let's, can, can we just be honest where we are? I mean, we found a comfortable spot in the shade where I can sit up, I can post up, I can prop my feet up, I can, I can maybe receive some good blessings. But boy, I don't want to be a part of it. And what God invites us into, and this is your invitation today, what God invites us into is to bask in the sun the warmth, the light, the life that is found in the presence of the sun.
You've been given time. We talk about that a lot. He said, man, I don't know. I don't really, really don't feel like I have a whole lot of time. You, we, listen, we all have the same amount of time, right? Days work the same for each and every one of us. The question at hand is really simply, how are we investing that time? You're spending it. I'm spending it. Am I spending it on something that, uh, that has an eternal return on it? You have talents. We have talents. Maybe your talent is you can lead from a stage. You can sing beautifully and lead others in worship. I'm not close to that. That's okay if you're not. Maybe your talent is you can cook a meal for your neighbor. You love those moments. Maybe your talent is, man, something like empathy or, or sympathy where you can sit in the presence of someone that's hurting and listen and care for them. You have abilities there. God has given you abilities there. Some of you, God's given you resources. We all have resources, money, assets. Some of you, God's given uh, just an incredible ability to, to reproduce and multiply that. And I know for you, like it comes so secondhand that you think everybody should be able to do that. I promise you, all of our minds do not work that way, okay? But some of you, man, it's just, you got it. And it's easy for you to do that. The point is, God has given us much to invest in a purpose, not just bury it and sit and wait. So back to our original question. How do we wait well? What does that look like? I believe waiting well looks like being willing to invest where you are. In this season, in this reality, with what God has given you, will you be willing to invest for an eternal purpose? And so look, across all of our campuses, we're about to step into a time of, of worship and response and, and know like this is a time for you. It is a time for you to engage with your heavenly father, whatever that looks like. And so maybe as we worship, you need to, you just need to stand right where you are, lift your hands and give it all to God in praise and worship. Maybe you need to spend some time at the altar on your face, asking God to help you dig up whatever it is that you've buried. Maybe you need to spend some time at the cross because you know fear or shame or despair has, has caused you to not want to, to be unwilling to invest. I mean, you need to confess that. Maybe you just need somebody to pray for you. We have prayer teams available to just put a hand on your shoulder and pray for you. But this is your time. This is your moment. Man, to engage with your heavenly father, however he leads. And so look, let, me, let me pray for us. And then we're gonna step into a time of worship and response together, okay? Let me pray. Lord, we come before you, God. I, I thank you. I thank you that, God, you see fit to entrust us with your property, with your presence, with your life. As foolish, as broken, as messed up as I can be. You, you set a purpose in front of me. You set a purpose in front of all of us. So God, I thank you. God, I pray that you will give us the strength, the, the courage, the boldness to dig up whatever we've buried, to invest in your purpose, to invest in your kingdom so that every person may be able to know, love, and follow you, to experience your hope, your forgiveness, your love. Lord, I pray that you'll guide us in this moment, in this time. All things we ask in your name. Amen. Thank you for joining us for the Venture Church Podcast. To find a campus near you, check out VentureChurch.org.